Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bonneau, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go! So, yeah, tell me about BIM Group. What, what do you do? So, for the last um, 30 years, we've been specializing in helping our clients to navigate brand journeys from the business side. So it's about the implementation and management and yeah, change of brand. So we basically, we're making brand change happen for our clients. So if you look into the ecosystem, we're not a branding agency. And a branding agency would do the creation and the strategizing of brands. But mm-hmm. we really help our clients to navigate them through the journey of bringing brands to life, uh, including mm-hmm. all the technology, of course, that uh, comes with that over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been doing this for, for a long time. Like I said, we are operating globally for global clients um, and large large national or international clients and uh, operating out of Munich and Amsterdam, London, and a small foothold in New York. Um, but business and clients are really from, from Japan to LA and anything in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you say bringing brands to life, um, because uh, a lot of what you have on the website is about rebrand. How, yes. how does that match? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. I mean, it's a, so the space is changing as we speak. Um, a lot of people are starting to talk about brand transformation and digital brand transformation, but a lot of recognition still comes with rebranding because rebranding is understood as where you change the appearance of a brand or mm-hmm. the positioning with the with the uh, desired uh, associations that come with that uh, in the minds of clients. And um, rebranding, of course, is something that is mostly seen as something big and hairy and audacious, mm-hmm. whereas brand transformation in a digital world happens every day. So, mm-hmm. for example, one of our clients is ING, um, the financial services at the bank. Mm-hmm. We work with them for the last 15 years. And it's an array of initiatives that we've been guiding them through in order to become digitally fit and transform the brand for all the touch points and the channels. Um, and that's not that's no longer mentioned to be a rebranding, but when they spun out the, 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 the insurance brand uh, like seven or eight years ago, then of course that company had to be rebranded from ING to become NN Group, which is now the name of this global insurance mm-hmm. business. So. It's also the semantics of the word is always the first conversation I'm having with our clients. Like, Mm -hmm. is this something, are you talking about small steps, evolutionary or very, or series of small steps? Or do you you have a reason to make bigger steps Mm -hmm. and move the needle more? So understanding the rationale for what what is the challenge or the opportunity is of course always the first thing to, to understand properly. Yeah, um, yeah. It makes sense now. You say because yeah, we always see. I think to most people, when you say rebrand, it's either a name change or some visual change, website change, logo change. Yeah. But now that you've explained it a bit better, it, it's effectively, inevitably, life is, and especially digitally, it goes very quick. So in order to stay relevant and up to date, effectively, you have to be changing with the time all yeah, the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean. 15 years ago, 
if you would have to plan for a rebranding, one of your biggest worries was how you would get the signage changed on mm -hmm. all the buildings. Yeah. Because the signage was 60, 70% of the investment and mm. substantial. Um, and it was the most, so the most visible touch point 15 years ago. We, you know, you and I can't even imagine it anymore. Mm. But we were talking about well, what is the feasibility of the buildings? Do you have, uh, do you have warehouses along the highway? Because then mm -hmm. we'll put the new branding there, right? On the back of the warehouse and not on the front. Just so, and of course that, that most visible touch, but nowadays is in your digital hemisphere. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, we've seen an explosion of touch points and channels through that. So now any brand transformation or rebranding, whatever the word is we choose, will be um, step, 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 small steps. And, and then mm -hmm. that will be the journey. But then the number of touch points and channels, I think we, we used to have maybe 10 or 20 touch points or channels, and now we have thousands. Because you yeah. can imagine every way you express your brand in all the digital, well, all digital ways is you need to be uh, orchestrated if you wish, if you want to make those changes. You cannot change your website or change your app or change uh, your, your social media handle on, on LinkedIn and Facebook, what have you, and, but, but not do all the IT legacy systems that you have. Whereas if you're sending proposals through, uh, well, maybe in PowerPoint or maybe through a digital interface to your clients, you cannot change two of those elements mm -hmm. and not change the rest because people just look, well, what are they doing? It's a mess. So yeah. it, it seems very easy to do it very gradually, but it's, it's become increasingly complex because you need to make a much better analysis up front of how your, well, your customer journey, how your touch points um, are related to each other and what happens if you start making changes here and then not see it there. Whereas in the mm -hmm. old days, it was quite easy because if you would change the logo on the, on the, on the front door, on the building, and maybe yeah. you would also change the, the name or the branding on the fleet and you had new business cards and a flag, well, that was, that was yeah. it. Yeah. So it was, yeah. almost, it was logistically very complicated, but now you need to have much more uh, yeah, expertise, I guess, to, to prepare yeah. for those changes. Yeah. And, yeah. and also maybe another element is that, of course, the, the digitalization in an organization is not necessarily owned by the people who own the brand. I mean, you can mm. see this very clearly in financial services companies, banks. Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, the, the banks that are growing quickest have the best uh, app. So they have a, a smartphone and they will have an app that's really, uh, yeah, uh, very good for the user interface. But normally those apps, the banking apps are not developed by the brand people. So mm -hmm. they will have a lot of internal discussions because, the, of course, the people who own the UX for the, for the banking app the payment app, well, they will just do whatever they see works. They will do A-B testing. If it works, we do mm -hmm. it, which gets you into a whole lot of conversation with the brand people because, of course, they do not necessarily have the same opinion because the, what, mm. what the, okay. the banking app people are doing, and, and I'm sure we'll talk also about it today, what the banking app people are doing, the, the development team or the UX team for the banking app is short-term conversion and improvement of the user experience. Whereas the mm -hmm. brand people's objective is much more long-term in building mm -hmm. a mental presence for their brand in the mind of, well, potential customers for the moment as and when they're in the mood to buy. And it's a totally different mm -hmm. need than the need I have when I have to uh, yeah. 
just just do payments or, or talk to my bank. Yeah. Is that something you get involved in? Is it in something that you handle for, for your clients? That whole handling that whole process and communicating it between all those uh, players and elements? Yeah, we are, we are always involved from the perspective of the branding. So if you, if I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the, the thinking of Binet and Fields, so they are really the godfathers of the effectiveness advertising in the world. And they've mm -hmm. done a lot of good research on uh, what is the relationship between brand building on the one side and sales activation on the other side. So if you take mm -hmm. this banking example, the brand building is where you build the brand and you convey the values of the bank through your, all your touch points and channels on the long term to, in order to, to build and achieve mental presence in the minds of your customers so that when I have to think about changing my bank, if I then still don't know you, it's going to be difficult. Mm. So I, yeah. even if I'm, a, if I'm a startup bank like N26 out of, of Berlin, they're growing rapidly, they, they have a massive challenge because their awareness is too low. So they have mm -hmm. to make sure that if I want to be even considering them as a new bank, then at some point I have to have heard, of, it doesn't mean that I have to do something with them now or in two years, but as and when the moment comes for me to do something with a potential bank decision, I have to know them. And this is all brand building activities. And the research of Bennett and Field was really about what do you do in terms of brand building? What do you do in terms of sales activation? Sales activation being, okay, I am actively looking for a new bank. How do you then convert me to become a client over other banks? So mm -hmm. our business is really in the world of brand building and to help our clients understand the mechanics of the brand building and to then help them with the transformation journey that comes from that. And that's of course, mm -hmm. um, yeah, can be a long lasting uh, journey uh, typically. Yeah, of course. You wrote a book uh, called Future Proof Your Brand. And that kind of fits nicely into what we're talking about. And especially uh, now with COVID and digital acceleration, I think that was a wake up call for a lot of uh, businesses, generally not just about digital, but obviously the world we are in, but taking branding seriously, taking their presence seriously. So how, and no, yeah, tell me a bit about your book and, and who would it be useful for? Well, we, we wrote a book, I did that together with my colleague Lawrence, and we wrote a book really because we, what we see is that brand is the most valuable intangible asset of organizations, but it's not treated as such by mm. organizations. It's not like you have a sales function or a procurement function or a business unit structure. Brand is a bit of everybody. And then what we are seeing in the world is that brand used to be all about consistently deploying the, the brand, like the, the logo and the typeface across everything. But mm -hmm. due to the digitalization, we've seen this explosion of channels and touch points. It's, it's everywhere. But mm -hmm. still, for the person who's owning the brand, so the book is, has been written for the people who own brand in a larger international corporation, or for the board members to really give them in simple speak what, what processes are about. And what we've seen is that the digitalization has made the world much more complex. And we were always talking about, the, and brand people would complain a lot about that they had to police the logo. Well, those mm. days are over for a long time because now the, the owner of the brand, which could be the chief marketing officer or the chief communication officer or the chief brand officer, is responsible for orchestrating the intangible relationship between the organization and the variety of stakeholders. 
stakeholders being customer, obviously, but also stakeholders being employees, being society, being suppliers and, and anything around. So um, you can see that from managing consistency, it has evolved to orchestrating coherency, which mm -hmm. requires a totally different paradigm for how you organize branding. And that's what mm -hmm. we and why we wrote the book to really set out and lay out uh, how that works, but also to 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 stay away from all the branding beautiful terms that the branding world has developed, um, because that's that's really the the magic side of the branding, and the book is really about the logic uh, side of branding. Mm -hmm. If you want to, well, if you want to talk about it in Simon Sinek slang, then most of the branding agencies in the world, whether it's digital agencies or corporate brand agencies or design firms, talk about the why and the what, which is crucial for your brand to know what you stand for, why you're here. That's all the things that we are less, uh, that's not our porte, but in how you do that and how you build and how you bring that to life is, is really um, where, where I think that brand needs to become much stronger. And I see around the world in all the work I'm doing with the boards of our clients, that it is to speak the language about how the mechanism works. That mm -hmm. is really what they understand. And when you start talking about the why or the what or the purpose, they go like, yeah, 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 but that's, that's difficult for them. So a lot of brand owners, so CMOs or CCOs are going to their board with a lot of stuff on the content. And we see that it's much easier to go with your, to your board with the process because if you can mm -hmm. map out the process, then the board will mandate you and trust you to focus on what is exactly the why and the what, and not the other mm -hmm. way around. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, that, so that's it's bringing that glorification. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Understand. Uh, what, what do you find most challenging in your work? Well, in, in a work for clients or my personal work, what Oof. <laughs> do you want me to let's, let's go with, with, with clients. Let's start with that. The most challenging is that uh, I was just alluding to the brand being the most valuable intangible asset, mm. but still the, the people who commission brand work, if you wish, are the, are the brand owners. So again, it's the CMO, the chief communication officer, the head of brand. And mm -hmm. most, a lot of those people have been brought up in a world um, where it was always about the why and the what. And mm -hmm. so I was just explaining that in our world, and that's what we see that works best with the boards of our clients, it's about the process and the how do you go about that. I mean, one of our clients is ABB. We've been helping them. It's a large technological conglomerate, 140,000 people around the world. And we've been helping them from, from the outset for the last five years, together with other external creative and communication partners to really map out the journey of brand unification and brand transformation. And what you can see is, is that resonates really well with the board. So I think the biggest challenge is for us to advocate for brand as the most valuable intangible asset, mm -hmm. to have a governance around that. Because if we were, all of us, in, in the profession around the world, whether it's people on client side or agency, if we would talk more about what the process looks like, then we would get more mandate to do what we are best at and what we love doing. And mm -hmm. I see a lot that that's being dealt with the other way around. And well, you can imagine there's a lot of animosity with board members for marketing expenditure anyway, 
yeah. because it's still the old mantra that uh, well you waste half of it and you don't know which half that <laughs> needs to well well that's the biggest concern of board members to not trust the people who own brand or marketing or communications with the budgets mm. which is of course that's, a big lever for the work yeah that sounds very familiar to me because i i work with um it's it's related to branding and that's why we, we have the smart branding but we focus uh, on a bit of a more narrow part of it so the domain name and the naming process yeah. and the it's a very very similar problem that we have where which is when you think about it with with brand as well it's it's been there for as long as there's been business whether yeah. you know you put it in words you call it something or not it's been there you you get familiar to a name to to an image and you trust them and you know them and you know what you're looking for when when the moment comes to make that uh, choice to buy something yeah. and uh, and domain names as part of branding obviously have been around since the internet has been yeah. around so and have been an intrinsic intrinsic part of it and still you have that um, many many brand owners that don't even like know the difference between a website and a domain name. And then you're starting usually from very low on that process of explaining what it is. And then you have to go into like, well, yeah, but why should I invest in it? And then you get, get into what you were just saying internally in the company, how that is made and just throwing that decision around who should be responsible for it. Uh, how should we go yeah. about it? And, and does it matter at all, et cetera, et cetera. So you're starting from, very far which is ironic given that it's been so long and it's so important yeah but also if you talk about naming and urls well there's a few things of course um the number of urls or the possibilities that you have to choose a good name that's fitting in a url is limited so mm. so the naming process and choosing a url is no longer a creative process so some mm. people still think you can come up with beautiful ideas and but that normally is not working then you have to identify, and we don't do that. We work with people like you and with other naming specialists as well around the world. It's a matter of, do you want a very descriptive name? Do you want a very holistic name? Why do you want that? Or do you want anything in, in between? And then there's a lot of things that are just impossible, technically impossible. So, mm. um, and then the, the backside of that is of course, that if you choose for something, then you have to uh, discuss to what extent do you want protection of those uh, mm. URLs and, and names and rights around it, because to to register and protect a brand around the world is not a cheap thing. Mm. You know? and that's that's quite an investment in the brand. It's, in fact, so one of the questions we will always ask in immersing ourselves in a client work is like, which part of the intellectual property do you own, dear client? Is it mm. the name? Is it the URL? Is it the trade name? Is there other assets? I mean, uh, another of our clients, for example, is Deutsche Telekom. Because they invest heavily in magenta, which is the color mm -hmm. that they own. You know, it's not purple; mm -hmm. it's a magenta color, and yeah. that's part of their uh, uh, legal rights as well. And they, yeah, they want to own that color around the world to make mm -hmm. sure they they build their brand uh, on, on that. So, uh, right. yeah, but I'm can sure you're familiar that? with those things. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't. I haven't thought about can you own a color basically, but I guess you can. You can. Well, of course you can, but then legally it's it depends on in which classes yeah. you want to do that, right? That's yeah, and globally it gets more complex with yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
You mentioned quite a few already big global clients, um, and I've, I've looked at your blog. You you have literally companies that have like a representation in tens of countries and thousands and tens of thousands of employees. Uh, when you are going through that process of changing the brand and rebranding, I don't want to confuse people with the wording, but generally that process when you work with a company, do you involve or how involved do, do employees get into that process? Well, it depends on uh, the reason for rebranding. I mean, mm-hmm. for example, if, if um, let's take an example, if you, um, so at the moment, there's a big shift. There's a few big shifts going on at the moment. Of course, there's the working from home. It's taking mm-hmm. an unprecedented change. I remember back in 1997, we were helping Ernst & Young to change to EY. And the colors were red and gray, and they changed to yellow and gray. And in 1907, there was a shortage of of personnel on the labor market globally. And the vision at the time, and yeah, I know it's 24 years ago, but the the vision at the time was that they had to be a brand that was fit for the future of employees, to be attractive to employees. Because if you would be most attractive as a big four company to the employees, then you would also win the best clients. Now, mm-hmm. that's been away due to two crises since, but what we're seeing now around the world due to the increased, well, the pandemic has helped people realize that things are changing quicker. Then mm-hmm. ESG was already coming before the pandemic, but it's now really coming through. And with ESG is the responsibility for what is the company also doing good for the society. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, very closely connected to the hearts and the minds of the people. So if you are trying to make a future-proof brand strategy, to also include what your own ecosystem is thinking and branding is inside out. Then of course that, that all, all, the, all the interviewing and, and uh, collecting of ideas and opinions should happen on the inside of the company. So mm. I think employees are more important than ever in, in bringing out the brand. Now, in an ideal world, you have the time to consult with all the employees mm. to go deep and bring, but that's not the real world. I mean, there's a lot of M&A I mean, 25% of our work consists of rebranding companies because there's an M&A activity. So if mm. companies get bought by another company, of course, the, yeah, the name has to change or the branding has to change. That is not, sometimes it's just not the time if there's a, if, mm-hmm. if a company goes through an IPO process, that's just like three months, four months, you need to get it all done. And then, mm-hmm. well, the immersion and the engagement with the employees only starts after day one. I mean, so it depends a bit on the situation. Typically, it's become way more important than, than ever before. Um, but that's, of course, uh, yeah, no, but not everybody is, is living in the ideal world. And yeah. as a matter of fact, hardly anybody is. So, <laughs> yeah. That's well, so it's when, when possible. Practice, yeah. I, I like the term branding inside out. As a term, yeah. it sounds very relevant. And yeah. that's on, on that. Um, you mentioned the M&A's case. So in those cases, or in the cases where we're talking about the rebrand, that's due to some um, other reason where we've seen now with um, generally um, the image of certain industries or the use of certain words changing, etc. We've seen a lot of brands rebrand for that. So where they they have to completely change. Even uh, there was, it's this week actually, they should be announced the rebrand of 
Facebook because apparently they yeah. don't change their name for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, but in those cases, how do you or do you at all try to preserve? Because sometimes we're talking about a brand with a lot of history and brand equity. How how do you go about that? Well, generically speaking, my recommendation will always be to not change the name unless you mm -hmm. must. Mm -hmm. Because so, so there's a number of examples for this. I mean, we've seen, uh, well, take Facebook. Facebook is seen mm -hmm. by many people as an evil company. I have mm. just, just say it like that. I mean, and, and now there's all these rumors about making a similar move to what Google has, has been doing with Alphabet, mm -hmm. um, which I can see that strategy is changing from becoming from a social media company becoming a meta-first company. So I can see the rationale for that. But, but for a company like Facebook to get rid of this well, bad image of what they are, and people believe that they are not for the good of the world, will be, will be very difficult. And they will always be under the biggest scrutiny, even if they change Facebook to Mickey Mouse. I don't think, by the way, they will change the name of Facebook. Facebook will also always be the app that we're using uh, for, mm -hmm. for, for the social. But there will just be a, an addition of other brands. And for that, they might change the brand architecture. But um, I mean, we've had quite a few clients coming to us like, well, we were thinking about changing the name because we had trouble in the past. And I'm always very reluctant because you can, it's just whitewashing. People don't believe that mm. and it will backfire on you. So you should never, in principle, not do that. When you change the name, it's mostly because you have to, because of if you, if you carve something out, if I'm a conglomerate and I'm um, selling off a division to another company, uh, well, of course, that that needs that you need to change the name. We just last week mm -hmm. we've been working for uh, a joint venture between Hitachi and ABB, forty thousand people. It used to be Hitachi ABB Power Grids. It's now Hitachi Energy. Well, I mean, yeah. the, the the ownership of the company changes. So within that time, you have to revisit the branding and the positioning and the naming. Um, mm. But if you don't have to, really. I would really recommend our clients not to. It would be even better for our business if they did. <laughs> but that's, yeah, it doesn't always work. You have to have a very good reason. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and kind of uncertain. If you, if you look at Volkswagen, they, they of course, were uh, in the whole um, scandal about the diesel emissions. And they True, had yeah. a ton. And we've been helping them with their repositioning for the last three, four years. So to really change from being um, a traditional combustion engine business to become uh, the leader in the electrification of, of vehicles. Mm. And they are really on that path for that. They also change their brand expression and well, even the logo ultimately, and as all the car makers are doing. But mm. um, I think that's just a very good way of moving the needle in who you are, signaling change through the branding, but not completely changing everything because it's not what people will believe. So. So this mm. whole building of brand equity, you cannot change that or do that in, in one, two or three years. It takes four, five, six years. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we see that time and time again. So yeah, if you talk about running from the inside out, even if you would be able to logistically do it quicker than that, the question is whether that is recommendable at all. Because mm -hmm. that's, it's also something people have to understand. And we, we as the audience have to feel, yeah, Actually, it makes sense. The company has changed, so it's logical what I'm seeing. And if we don't it buy is. into that, then we, we you just lose. Uh, yeah, they just lose you. I think that yeah, brands are 
obliged effectively to be a lot more authentic now you can't hide things it, it's it's just everything goes out in in literally hours even online yeah. and everywhere so it's twofold. Yeah. it's twofold it's the social media where inside is outside again so mm. if your employees are telling a different story on social media mm. than, than what you're telling them is just making you look ridiculous but secondly mm. we see a lot of development in we, we have a lot of clients who have a lot of brands because they mm -hmm. acquired them, because they founded them, whatever reason. And in this digital space, people will want to see also with the ESG push uh, into the market now, people want to know who is behind the brand. So mm -hmm. it's nice to see a product brand, but I want to know who's the sender of this brand. I mean, mm -hmm. we, earlier this year, we helped uh, Racket Bankies uh, uh, rebrand, uh, it was RB, to, to rebrand to Racket. It's a, it's a completely similar size of Unilever. Um, mm -hmm. And really, uh, you can see their name also on, on the back of their products, because mm -hmm. it's just people want to understand where is this coming from? And because mm -hmm. of the increased transparency through all the digital channels, increasingly, we see clients asking us, okay, we have 100 brands, 200 brands, how do we reduce that uh, appropriately? Mm -hmm. Because people, people don't understand it anymore. And of course, there's a big cost associated with having many brands. So mm -hmm. if you look at brand unification, there's also a main rule. And the main rule is to have as little brands as possible, but as many as necessary. So it's not mm -hmm. that you have to destroy each and every brand because you can have very specific, powerful brands in your portfolio. But um, if something is not really differentiating or powerful, um, mm. then you, you should ask the question, why not fold that into the... Mm -hmm. architecture that we have yeah yeah that's a very valid valid point and um, even myself i've um i've noticed like over the past 10 years maybe i guess that comes with age as well but no actually not because i mean my kids the younger ones are too too young but the older ones are 13 and 16 they they are looking at everything they're buying everything like who produced that what they the, 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 the like opinions everything and we, I don't think we used to do that before. No, no, not at all. Like even even established brands, they they still look into like it's not just enough to see all the name. It's like who, like no, you said, who owns that brand? It goes few levels. Yeah. Yeah, but also the Gen Z, they really want to understand what is the, uh, well, the footprint of organization. Where mm. does it come from? And they are really uh, critical about uh, if they don't understand that or they think it's not good. Now, obviously, yeah. there is there is a caveat around this thinking. I mean, I, I, I talk about what, what the implication of ESG is for companies and brands and the positioning every day. But we also have to be realistic that the, the average buyer of products um, has a different problem. And that is whether they can afford the product or not. Mm. So, right? So That's there is something right. as it has to be affordable. So mm -hmm. why do we buy products from China? And my, my, my daughters, they buy, uh, well, fake nails and whatever. And, mm. and they buy something for one euro seventy eight, and it gets shipped here from China. Mm. I find myself talking to them and say, "Well, do you think this is a good idea? It's coming from afar. How would they be produced? Then we put them in a ship, or even worse, in a plane. Someone drives a truck to get it to the door, Absolutely. and then you open it up, and and they go, yeah, but it's cheap, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's four times as cheap as what I can buy here. So, yeah. so, so we have to be very aware of." Um, that this is a, this will be solved over time because there's a huge push 
and, and the stock market have embraced ESG thinking. So we will, but, but when it comes with price increases, that's a mm. massive counter uh, effect to the positive effect of the sustainability mm-hmm. push. And of course, I'm a firm believer in all of that, but you, you have to be in the understanding that most consumers, I mean, take consumers in Africa. Mm. What do you mean sustainability? They don't have yeah. enough money for enough food. So, yeah, yeah. Or, or to buy clothes and the phone is way more important than so before we get to sustainability in the whole world it will take mm. a long time but of course it's it, it's something we need to do also um yeah well, to save the planet anyway but um that that's why i see a lot of hurdles along that way so for bigger companies you have to take your responsibility you have to establish and understand what it is that you're contributing to wider society instead of how you comply to the rules, because that's mm-hmm. that's the bare minimum to comply to the rules. Um, and of course, it's a big opportunity if you can differentiate yourself for good positioning. But at the same time, you will see that the whole sustainability will become hygiene in, in five to 10 years from now for large corporations. It will just be yeah, uh, an obligation to, mm. to do way more than the minimum. That's good. Yeah. Yes, that's definitely right. You can see it if you look at Standard and Poor's and Moody's and uh, Fitch. So th- they are the rating agencies for people who, who buy stock. So if I want to buy a stock, I, I go to them and they tell me whether I should buy or hold or sell uh, mm. a, a stock. They have really been buying a lot of ESG rating companies because these, these agencies have always been very focused on the hard measure of the performance of shares and stock. And now mm-hmm. they have incorporated the non-financial performance on sustainability into their rating systems. So you mm-hmm. can see that when those people start doing that, then the world will make yeah. different choices. But still, the, the, the issue on the price pressure and whether it's affordable for the for the consumer in the street, I think will be will be very much in the way of a lot of these developments. Not that for is the, a very the, valid uh, point, yeah. Because yeah. ultimately, however whatever ideals do you have you have to put food on the table so that's yeah so so if you are an affluent affluent buyer who has access of money to to consider is this a good thing to buy which Mm. it's the same with biological food it's a good Mm. idea biological food but if i have to pay twice the price i know you go to the supermarket yeah it's a it's it's literally i mean up here in france and i'm sure that's not very different globally um you, you go to the section with the bio food and it's like yeah. two, sometimes three times more expensive. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, of course you can eat less. Yeah, that's that's always a solution. <laughs> that's good for the planet as well. <laughs> yeah, or less meat or less fish. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. off topic for today. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, we, I, I don't want to hold you uh, up too long. Just two more questions. Um, one is because we, we, we've mentioned a few brands already that you work with that are global, uh, big companies. What what sort of a business does one have to own to be able to work with you? In terms of the, you mean- the, In terms the of, of size, I guess, and oh, geographically. Well, we, we, I mean, we work, we work from literally from Japan to LA, mm. um, mostly for larger national or international companies. Um, but we do also work for some you know, startups, but mostly then it's uh, yeah, startups who have been funded by private equity. Um, so it's not startups with two or three people. 
Um, mm -hmm. But if you if you are yeah a brand with a international or larger national reach or potential reach, that's who we work for. And mostly it's not that we advertise for work. We mostly we get recommended by clients who we've worked for in the past. Um, so it's not about uh, yeah that we are advertising what we're doing. It's mostly word of mouth. Yeah, mm. I don't oh, know yes, if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it's more for like if within our audience somebody needs that sort of a service, I, I would like to yeah, give them I mean, some idea. Any, of anybody in your audience, of course, any question, I'm always happy to talk about the subject, whether somebody would be interesting for us is, is less relevant for that. I'm always happy to give back. And uh, I've, yeah, I think we know that from each other. I publish a lot, speak a lot. So always happy to talk or engage in uh, conversations. Thank you. That's that's great. And last one, what what's next for for Vim Group? What are, what are, what is the most exciting thing you're working on now? Well, there's always exciting clients that we're working <laughs> on, but mostly we can't be we can't speak about it because it's not it's not for us yeah. to bring out their good news. Mm. <laughs> but there is a number of very good things going on in that, but I won't talk about that. Now, what I think is more interesting is what we see is. Um, the, the branding world is, uh, um, I was talking about the coherency and the orchestration mm. of touch points. We're seeing a tremendous rise in anything around brand technology. And I can also see that our own practice in that space is growing with more than 100% per year. So it's just, just massive in, in supporting our clients with assessing the ecosystem of tooling that you use in the space of yeah, yeah, brand and, and MarTech. And uh, yeah, that's really exciting because uh, there's a lot of improvement going on in that space. I mean, we've seen MarTech developing for the last 10, 15 years, but now we also see the communications and brand technology evolve accordingly. And uh, mm. yeah, that, to me, that's very exciting because that's giving a lot of new opportunities uh, for clients mm. to bring out their brand better, faster, uh, and even also at better cost. So uh, that's, that, yeah, yeah. to me, that's very exciting. That is, we're actually working on a report on that, on the top companies in that space. Yeah, I'm going to send it to you when it's done. Okay. Yeah, please. I, yeah. I will eat any information. <laughs> cool. I'm curious. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having um, me. My pleasure too. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.